Good evening, and if you're just tuning in, you are listening live to the Angel Rock on 105.3 out of New Orleans, Louisiana. I'm your host, Laura Lee Potvin. You can also watch the show. In, we're on many different platforms, and the sh- show replay is always with the rest of the shows on the network, shared anywhere where podcasts and talk radio is carried. But if you want to join in the conversation, normally... Tonight, this is a pre-recorded, a special presentation when I share this with you, but head over to UPRN's Facebook page or one of our YouTube channels. The main one this usually streams to is under UFO Paranormal Radio Network. We're also known as United Public Radio Network. If you've never been to my show before, welcome, as well as people that are returning. I cover all aspects of the esoteric, spirituality, a little bit of paranormal thrown in there, as well as truth seeking. And a little bit about myself. I'm a Canadian clairvoyant medium. I'm a crystal Reiki energy healer, Akashic Records practitioner, spiritual teacher and mentor, as well as a truth seeker and a registered nurse. Now, tonight, I have an amazing guest for you. He's been on a lot of different programs and he has some important things, many things that I love to talk about and I know you have seen on this channel before, but I want to read his bio first. It's quite extensive, but I think it's important. So let me start out here with Frank Jacob is an international award-winning filmmaker, presenter, popular talk show guest, visual artist, musician, and composer. Having teamed up with U.S. motion picture production company Screen Addiction, his recent films explore the frontiers of consciousness-raising subjects in the films Solar Revolution, The Klaus Dona, I hope I said that right, Chronicles, and Packing for Mars. In 2019, Frank directed and co-produced the series Timeless, a first of its kind in uh, German format, exploring the world of the paranormal for U.S. online network Gaia. Oh, I love Gaia. In March 2022, Frank broke a story about a mysterious group called the Guardians of the Looking Glass. And I know I saw that myself when it came out pretty way back, I believe it was in the end of March, but we're probably going to talk about that, who claimed to be a breakaway faction of the controversial project Looking Glass, having resurfaced to help humanity avert upcoming disasters, which exploded onto the internet. This time technology makes it possible to peer into timelines, future probabilities, and more. It appears to be used by rogue elements in government, as well as the elite to bring about a technocratic dictatorship. The story blew up all over the blogosphere and talk show circuit. He followed up with a tale of two timelines, a webinar that dives deep into the history and main protagonists of the story that connects consciousness, ETs, CERN, AI, time travel, interdimensional messages, the meaning of timelines, and an upcoming cosmic event with the power to propel mankind into a quantum evolutionary leap long uh, predicted by indigenous peoples around the world. Other highlights have included a first-of-its-kind live cinema feature called Loop Live Cinema, where musical stage performances were... um, orchestrated in tandem with dynamic visual sequences as as dramatic narratives. He was invited to conceive and perform the unique live cinema spectacle in January 2010 in collaboration with a 65-piece symphony orchestra in Salzburg, the birth town of Mozart. 
I'm going to post the rest of his bio on when I post this show so you can read it because he has done the most incredible things. He's got the most amazing biography, so I will share the rest. Welcome, Frank. I'm so glad to have you here. Thanks for having me, Laura Lee. Wow, what an impressive bio. Holy cow. Quite the creator. Pretty nuts, really, when I hear it like that. Yeah. Well, before we started filming, that's what I you had, I you had said you're a musician, and I said I'm from Thunder Bay in Canada, and I was surprised. Excuse me, just putting the laptop down. I was surprised that you said you had been to Thunder Bay because a lot of people have no clue where I live. So, and you said you were touring with the band, and I am positive. I'm gonna check that band out after this, but I am positive the name of that band I recognize. <laughs> Yeah, it was kind of an unusual name at the time. Yeah, but that's what you need with any kind of band name, right? Because then it sticks with the person that's either seeing you live or, you know, buys your album. Or I know I'm dating myself with saying album, but albums are kind of coming back into vogue, I've noticed, <laughs> slowly. <laughs> right, right. Well, it was right at the time of the cusp of CDs and uh, I think state of the art. We really were state of the art because we were um you know heavily digital with programming and i was um i was doing a lot of the um like i pre-programmed a lot I, i'm the drummer oh, or i cool. was the drummer <laughs> and so i played the drums in tandem with uh sequencing and everything so it was very very intricate but so we had a really huge sound um wow. for for you know for a small band and and it was i think it was kind of like the last year or so of touring bands because after that really live the live thing began to die off and it turned more into djs mm -hmm. <laughs> then djs became the big thing and you heard less and less of touring bands and it was you know it's expensive to tour and people didn't pay a lot of money back but we just kind of caught the last cuspid uh, mm -hmm. i would say of it yeah we're we're big music lovers in our house part of the reason why my show is called the angel rock is because i love angels and higher vibrational beings and work with the angelic realm love crystals but also i love rock music i don't have a rock t-shirt on tonight that's kind of my thing but I, it's christmasy so i thought hey i'm gonna dress for christmas so i want to ask you okay i always ask my guests what got you into this type of work like you are in a very unique genre and I love when I meet other fellow creatives. I'm very creative in many, many different types of arenas as well. But what got you started with this type of topic material that you're looking at? Uh, gee. Uh, I, I think I've... I caught you off guard, did I? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't I want started... to talk about it too, you're okay. No, I'm cool. Let me, just, okay. let me just try to put some thoughts to it. Uh, some words to to the thoughts. I, I I've always been. Well, I come from uh, you know more of a background of the arts, as you mm -hmm. as you see. I was uh, a musician and a performer, stage performer, and a writer. And I tried to make it in the music and the media industry. That's so difficult. Uh, so I've you know the arts are kind of where I came from, but I was also uh, interested in you know conspiratorial stuff because I. Yeah. When I was 12, I I, I read um, a book about Hiroshima and it really rocked my little mind, you know, and I thought, my God, I'm living on a planet with a bunch of insane leaders. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, it forever bent my 
consciousness in the direction of don't trust the authorities <laughs> wow. and i you know was kind of maybe older than my years and i always hung out more i was enjoyed hanging out with people that were three four five years older than me uh and tapping them for what they knew and this kind of that was a trend for a while and i that's what got me into other things that are interesting for me such as metaphysical things like spiritual mm -hmm. what now is called spirituality although i didn't call it that back then it was it was more metaphysical stuff. Um, you know, I was interested in expanding my consciousness. And, and so I, I was influenced by heavily by uh, things like Richard Bach and Jane Roberts and Carlos Castaneda. And I had someone older to talk to about that stuff. So it really kind of sent me in that direction. So I, so on the one hand, I was into this eclectic, you know, consciousness stuff. But on the other hand, um, I was into the hardcore like uh just you know conspiracy stuff there was a there was a guy called like i had a book um by you know i guess g edward griffin is still out there that's mm -hmm. a person whose name is kind of big uh g Ed i had a bunch of g edward griffin cassettes back then they had cassettes right so i understand <laughs> I, right so I, you know i'd listen with a with a with a a walkman you know i'd listen yeah. to the to the g edward griffin tapes i'd go to sleep at night listening to his talks okay. about you know the banking system and Jekyll Island and you know all this stuff it was just wow. fascinating for me and so I I kind of my brain and mind split open very early in my life but then for me the arts were kind of the binding element I did because with the arts you can you can explore all this stuff because you're not limited to academics and if you're in the academic field you're very limited because the academic field is straight and narrow if you if you veer into topics like ufos or conspiracies then you're just you're cast out you have to kind of keep the straight and narrow line and i, I wasn't an academic in that sense but i was definitely an intellectual uh -huh. uh, but um the arts were the way for me to to explore my creativity and i you know although i then, I then eventually you know when you get older you kind of i grew out of that stuff and got you know real like real life <laughs> job paying the rent, you know, the kind of stuff that is boring, but just mm -hmm. to kind of get through. Uh, and it wasn't until I think, you know, several years later then I got into um, alternative, like nutritional stuff. Like yeah. I, I, I ran into uh, I, I, like the singer that I was working with at the time after I left that band that I was telling you about, yeah. I went, I tried to make it with original music and, we were down in Boston and we connected with a woman called Ann Wigmore at the thing called the Hippocrates Institute. And she had pioneered wheatgrass juice and was world yeah. famous for that. And so I had a chance to work actually very closely with that material and teach people about that aspect of nutritional um, aspect of foods that you don't really hear that much about. It wasn't, you know, it was, it was kind of, it wasn't, it's not about pills and vitamins and it's, you know, it's not kind of, it's not like psychotherapy and new age mm -hmm. stuff. It's, like you grow a garden and yeah. I, I grew I grew a garden in my apartment in Montreal, you know, minus 30 outside. You just talked about I had that. a sheet, I had, I had a wall of wheatgrass, you know, growing. Wow. So, uh, so I've, I've been all that in that direction, but it wasn't really though until um, I came to Europe many years later. I mean, I'm just skipping over some chapters here, That's but okay. I ended up, um, I ended up, you know, of course getting into internet that all, that all that came up and I was involved in developing internet plans and, I got into the computer stuff heavily, like digital stuff, programming stuff and right. websites and designing. And mm -hmm. I ended up in Europe, you know, I ended up in Germany. And um, and then um, 
I was working for a network and I was trying to produce things for the network that were more in, you know, uh, story and oriented. I was, I was involved in a show called the ultimate rush okay. for, for Red Bull, which was kind of like the, you know, their hit show about uh, what at like projects that athletes have that are just yeah. really crazy. Mm-hmm. And there, it was like a half hour episodic seasons that I was producing. And I was the, I was the um, supervising editor and I produced a lot of the shows myself and wrote them. And so then I, I was trying to get into something more like if I wanted to get into full, you know, spectrum, like cinematic documentary filmmaking. Mm-hmm. And it was always a series of stages. So I went from, you know, music to music videos to, you know, portray films to commercial short films to this series. And then I, you know, I was looking for a topic to make a film about. Uh, and, and I remembered, um, a book that somebody had given me many years earlier called Alternative Three. Oh, okay. And it was by a British Fleet Street journalist called Leslie Watkins, and it was about a Mars breakaway colony that someone had given me and said, this is okay. a true story masquerading as fiction. Okay. And it impressed me a lot. And when I was looking for a story to do a film on, one night I stumbled on an internet podcast with uh, um, two people that were claiming they were part of of a Mars colony or Mars colonization Ooh, program. And that's I want to see I that. <laughs> so I was thinking, okay, what is this really real? I mean, I really wanted to know at that point. So that for me became, and the people were um, uh, a lawyer called Andrew Bushago and, and yes. Laura Eisenhower, who I, I think Laura. everyone knows who she is now. Right. So, but back then, you know, they were virtually unknown or not that many people knew about them. And, and this whole disclosure thing hadn't really been, you know, hadn't exploded to the level and, you know, there was Bill and Carrie Cassidy were out there and mm-hmm. there were and there were very few others really kind of doing the whistleblower interview format. And I felt that a lot of the material that was on the Internet was just very poor quality. So my idea was because I was an editor working with, you know, the top of the state of the art equipment and uh, I just wanted to do something very high level very cinematic that you could put on a you could be you could proudly put on a theater screen um and get into this really wacky topic <laughs> so that's how, how really it all kind of well it isn't now but back then it was like you know look it the idea not. of a conspiracy of a of a breakaway civilization on the surface of mars was at the time that i was exploring the idea that was around 2009 yeah i think it would have been weird you know, that was almost like 13, I guess, 13 years ago. I mean, this this whole disclosure thing has really only exploded since about 2000. What was it? 2000, you know, 12, 13. It just began. Two, to... But 13 years ago, I'll tell you, Frank, I wouldn't have found it weird at all. Because the reason why I asked you this, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but I wanted to throw this in here because I was wondering, like, I always ask people, how did you start? Like, did you have an experience or whatever? But it almost sounds like you've been immersed in this since the tween years and it just naturally evolved. Would I be right in saying that? I didn't mean to cut you off, so continue, please. But No, you're right. I mean, actually, it's funny. I have been into this stuff for decades mm-hmm. and I was just a very early indigo or whatever you want to i don't even want to yeah. classify our categories but i was very I early very um you know eyes wide open in the world at a very early age and for me i've never been any different it's only just finding a way and a means to be able to re- to get it out there because i knew that the stuff had to get out there. although i was into ufos when i was 12 13 i always figured you know uh 
somebody would take up that that ball and get it out there and we'd all know that they're that they're real by the time i was an adult of course that didn't happen and we're still struggling to get yes. the truth about ufos out there mm -hmm. so you know but being a creative i i like to you know i'm always dissatisfied with these a lot of documentaries especially information documentaries because you just you just get some talking head usually badly framed horrible sound you know music you can forget you know immediately mm -hmm. uh and, and just and it's not the fault of the directors and producers they're just not creatives you know they're in they have maybe a concept and they want to get it out there but they can maybe they can operate a camera or barely but they don't forget about taste and music or knowing you know you know timing and editing cuts and pacing and all these like nuances of the craft of filmmaking and i had that because i'd been at it for so many years from the genre of music all the way up to making films so um it's my language you know picture and sound and information is my language okay. uh, and that's how i speak and so for me it's a natural progression to take this information and i want to make films um, you know, and then I then I met Tanya Maidenford of Screen Addiction when I was on the road for Packing for Mars. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, she had a lot of contacts and she had the same kind of vision that, you know, information should be entertaining. So the idea was to get sort of a high level to information, which is very controversial. So it's not just a dry, you know, sterile, you know, talking head documentary, but it's like a journey that has crazy elements to it that are just as crazy as the information represented visually so that, was, that's been the goal you know that's kind of been the goal and I'm, and sometimes you hit on target and other times you, you can't because of other limitations or it isn't quite what you wanted but you do it you just go for it you know well what i was going to add that i love what you said there about how i just very quickly what went through my mind when you were speaking i remember when the tv show er came out I, I still remember that first episode and I was tearing my hair out with what they had on TV because I know what goes on in an ER. I know what happens. And it's like, are you serious? You can't be putting this out here. And I hear what you're saying when you know what you do and you know how it should be done. And people are just natural set certain things. And you can you can see it you can hear it with what you're doing with the passion and what you you've considered like it's not just like you said a talking head with dry information you're and you're not entertaining but you're engaging all the senses like you said incorrect music and not frame properly but it sounds like it's a holistic picture of what the information that you're presenting and the thing that i like about that coming i don't usually get into clinical things but you know we use different parts of our brain so mm -hmm. again, that information is going to stick with the individual that's watching it because it is targeting different parts of the brain. So I think that's brilliant because I haven't met many filmmakers that consider it from a holistic perspective, like what you discussed. Yeah, it isn't that common. I, I, I didn't realize that, but you know, I haven't been worked in the industry now, having been working in the industry now for, you know, for quite a few years, I don't encounter a lot of people that have that capability on all these different levels. Uh, it's starting to happen more now, but I, for me, I always thought that the new, the young generation, which I was sort of an early precursor to, would be fluid in the tech, you know? So it's mm -hmm. like when you're talking or when you're working, you know, you, you use the, the tech that is available and you can use, you're not you know, overwhelmed by it. It's mm -hmm. a second nature to be able to express yourself through the, the technology should only really be there to serve you to express yourself more clearly 
and more precisely and in better quality. You know, that's the only thing it's for me that it's only that it's there for. And it opens up avenues and vehicles for you to express things, you know, very, very well creatively, I guess, is the main word here. And it's about creativity. It's got to have some something for me personally. It's always got to have something that is you know, that crosses both into both of those worlds, creativity as well as information. And when the information is put out there, I'm also, I also want the truth. I mean, I don't want to yes. censor it. I don't, I don't want to censor the information. The only censoring on any of our material that we put out is our own censoring. We just, we decided, okay, look, maybe we shouldn't put this out. And Tanya's great at kind of angling me in when I've gone maybe a little bit off the cliff, you know, and, mm -hmm. and like things like what you see. And for example, in that, um, died suddenly film that's out there now wouldn't happen wouldn't happen to me because tanya would be there saying no you can't use that footage that's not exactly that's not showing what you're saying it's something else and they're going to catch that and they're going to tear you down because they're going to say oh they're pretending and and, and it's true so you got to be careful though making mistakes you got to be very precise these days the level of information dissemination has gotten their bar has been raised you know we have a it's it's not as easy as it used to be you have to be accurate and you have, you know, the, the people that are um, putting stuff out there, you just need to double check everything. Because how often have I put something, I, I've had a weak moment and I've shared some, you know, what looks like very controversial piece of information only to find later that it was fake mm -hmm. and somebody faked it and I fell for it, you know. And, and, and so I, it really bothers me and I don't want to put anything out that's fake. I want to put everything out that's real, as real as real as I could tell. And if it isn't 100% sure, I, I, I frame it that way. I this is what we found and this is what's out there. Okay, make up your own mind because everyone has the ability and the free will to make up their mind as, as to what they're seeing. And it also bothers me when people come out there saying, you know, they're proclaiming this is the absolute truth. Oh, I hear you. I God, hear when you. I hear that, it's like you hear someone saying that, turn and run the other direction as fast as you can, right? Because when the yes, I'm into stones. truth and yeah. I'm into getting the truth out there. But, yep. uh, you know, th there's like, I just try to dig away like an archaeologist to get at, you know, the truth underneath all the layers of filtration and, and crap that's covering up the truth. And if, you know, and you have to make that, that journey with your audience so that they feel they're going in the journey with you toward finding the truth. And that way they don't feel like they've been ripped off if later they find out that you were just taking them on the arm, you know? That well, you, you told them it was the truth, but you knew all along it wasn't. You just used it as a clickbait kind of thing where well, you got you know, sensationalized. You, you sensationalized the topic in order to sucker them. And I don't I hate being the person who's the sucker. So why would I want to do that to my audience? So, I, you know, so it's yeah. So it's about storytelling, getting at the truth and taking the audience through the story to try and find the truth. I'm sorry, I was getting so excited there. I didn't mean that. You always have a bit of a delay. I will warn you, ladies and gentlemen, we're trying, the internet so far is holding up, but we have a major blizzard. And I know you had mentioned you've got some snow going on there as well. But I have a little bit of a delay, so I didn't mean to cut you off, but I was going to say with the truth, I speak to lots of people all day long, sharing information probably like you do as well, right? And when the Georgia Guidestones, the incident that happened, people, if you've listened and maybe aren't aware of it, please take a look. Uh, just use various search engines. You can make up your own mind. But I will tell you, I happened to be awake when the news broke. So I sent it out. I kid you not, 20 minutes later, 
from all around the world, eight different people sending me, this is the absolute truth. There's no doubt about it. This is what happened. And it was all different. Now, did people send that to me because they were being malicious? No, maybe not vetting your true sources. Some of them, some of them truly believing this was the truth. But the point is where I'm going with this is I think we have to be careful, trusted sources that we've used before in the past, especially over the last couple of years that have been really good sources of truth. I've got to sometimes quadruple, quintuple check it. But my whole point is you, and I feel exactly the same way what you said. I hate when I send something out when you've you feel like you've fallen for it. You've, even if you've vetted it to the teenth degree, but you know what makes it real? And I love that you kind of added this as well, Frank, is when we've made a mistake, we admit it. So people know that we're not putting stuff out there for clickbait. We're not, you know, doing anything nefarious, except that we're disseminating information that we need to hear that we're not going to be hearing in other places right like when the guardian when the uh, guardians of the looking glass broke let's let's go there now let's get into some of this stuff because yeah. it's a big topic now i want i i don't know how i feel about them and i've watched practically every interview that you've done with john nolan i want to say jean because that's french right <laughs> that's how he spells it but um I wasn't sure, but what I do want to say is this really paints a target on your, your back when you cover this type, type of, you know, information and it doesn't matter what it is. And what I say to people, I I've had this happen too. everybody does. I'm not anywhere near where you are, obviously with, with the amount of people hearing what you have to say. But my point is, is people don't realize it's so easy to sit in an armchair and hide behind a keyboard and spew venom about somebody that has the courage to stand up there and share this information, disseminate it. And I had never saw once the two of you ever say to people, this is exactly what it is. And you need to listen to us and believe us. You were trying very neutral in presenting the information, but let's talk about that. How did you fall into this rabbit hole? Like what happened with that? Well, I, I knew Bill Ryan, obviously mm -hmm. from packing for Mars. Yeah. We've been friends for years, like since then. And, I, and and Tanya Maidenford knew about The Looking Glass. So I heard about it from her as well as Bill Ryan. And Bill Ryan had interviewed, you know, both Dan Burish and, well, he didn't interview Bill Wood, but Carrie did. So the other, mm -hmm. so the, you know, the, the, the characters of Dan Burish and Bill Wood, you know, were, were known. And I had known about The Looking Glass, obviously, for more than 10 years but I never did anything with it because the topic of packing for Mars was something different. It was this breakaway civilization Mars thing. And it was less about, and it was more about jump rooms and, and that kind of stuff, not so much about the looking glass. So I kind of let the looking glass sit. Mm -hmm. And, but I was familiar with the idea of timelines. And I, a year earlier, I had done a show with a German biophysicist that we did a film with called Solar Revolution. Mm -hmm. which is the only film of its kind out there, which explores the idea of uh, how human consciousness is being affected by cosmic radiation coming from the center of our galaxy. And Dieter Burrs is a biophysicist in Germany. He'd done an academic paper on it when I, and I read that around 2008. And I remember going, wow, this guy's really got, you know, he's really got it together. You know, this is the first time I've ever heard an explanation about, you know, the, the spiritual aspect of um, raising consciousness that put it in such a 
neutral and yet science-based way you know and, and the good science like not you know i'm not an i'm not an enemy of science i i believe the i believe in the Thank real you. true scientific method I just don't believe in the, you know, pay me enough dollars and you'll get the right answer science. Uh, yeah. um, you know, I'm into the real science stuff. And so Dieter uh, is into that. So that's how I and I and then I bought his book and then we ended up, you know, connecting just to you know, how, how it is in the universe. You know, little did I know, you know, on that podcast that I heard that he would be somebody that would become, you know, very connected to me in my life, you know, very shortly later, a few years, a few short years later. But that idea of the of the how the cosmos works together yeah. with the biology of our human bodies to actually create uh, dimensional shifts or per- shifts in perception, mm-hmm. expansion in consciousness has a tie into physics and biology, as we explained in that film. There's never been another film really like it since we put that one out in 2012. So I highly recommend people watch it if they want to get into that topic. But so. You know, I'd done a show with Dieter at Easter a year earlier about timelines, and we touched a little bit about on Looking Glass. And then a year passed, and I was researching kind of the um, Gonzalo Lira's sort of one-man band journalism in Ukraine as the day early days of the war. And I was impressed by his candid expressions of he had an incredible knowledge of history, and he had an incredible um, way of storytelling. And he would, you know, at the same time, he was right there in the, at, at ground zero. And his reporting about the so-called war in Ukraine was a you know, major diver- a difference from what was being presented to us on mainstream television, Absolutely. which made me realize, OK, we're talking about another phony war. Right. You know, the only people that are really suffering in this scenario are the are the poor Ukrainian people, the people. I'm glad you added that, because, you know, because you know, let's I mean, look, that, you know, what they're doing over there, the mayhem they're creating is real. There's no doubt about it. But the storyline behind it is absolute yes, false. Absolutely. It's, false. it's a fake storyline. Right. And and the reason that I mean, you know, and the reason I, I was interested is because Gonzalo Lira's reporting was talking about videos that had been that had made it virally showing the uh, Russians had been beaten by, you know, groups of mercenary Americans working with Ukrainians together to beat them. And then they, they showed these videos and they went viral. And then a filmmaker that he was talking about had found that those videos all seemed to be located at the same location, even though they were claiming to be elsewhere. And so I needed to see this because, I, you know, that's my storyline. Like, I'd like to know if somebody's using fake stuff to create reality. You know, So I was looking for that, uh, those videos and sure, they do exist. And it was true. All of it. All, all of it was phony. Total phony baloney, Laura Lee. <laughs> you know, I, I just, believe that I have seen. I've seen. The, way they were um, the, it was just the, the camera guys were too lazy to even put the, you know, the camera on another angle, barely, you know, and you could yeah. still see the same stupid buildings and the lamp posts and the, you know, it, it was all too obvious. Right. But anyway, the point is that I was going down his telegram chat, which I usually never do because it's so polluted with hundreds of people. Yes. But there was this, this thing popped out. It said looking glass guardians. And I was Ooh, like, well, what? what is this? <laughs> you know, and, and maybe because it was like a needle in a haystack and had no place there at all. It was a totally different topic. I clicked on it and that brought me to this YouTube channel that had been created just three days earlier. Mm-hmm. And there were two videos up. And the next day, the third video p- was put up. And of course, I went through the videos, which are essentially a talking computer voice describing yeah. the people that were calling themselves the guardians of the looking glass. And they said mm-hmm. that they were part of the looking glass project in the, in the 90s. 
And, you know, this was all black ops military stuff. And I, I knew obviously enough about the Looking Glass project to know that these guys were hitting all the right buttons. They weren't just talking off the top of their heads. They were introducing quality information to that story that only somebody who is familiar with the story could decipher. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I decided, okay, that I got goosebumps. And I just figured, okay, like, let me just check this out. So I, I you know, I went in, I went in, you know, dissected all of their material. And then I kind of waited for the obvious, you know, people to come out and break the story. The ones who are usually out there with the stories, and right? Nobody did. <laughs> nobody did, right? So it was like 10 days had gone by and it was bothering me because I'm like, come on, like if this is real and these guys are talking about preventing a false flag operation, which is coming up in, in about six weeks. And the idea, which I really liked, by the way, is not to, you know, to try and attack the um, attackers using looking glass technology, knowing where what would happen, because then obviously they would be seeing it in the data themselves, so they would see it coming and avert it. No, the yeah. idea was to open source it and get it talk, get as many people talking about it as possible so that it's kind of like spoiling the surprise birthday party. Mm -hmm. You know, when everyone knows that they've told you that everyone's waiting for you at home, when you get home, then the surprise yeah. is over, right? So right. you can't go through with it. I love that idea. And I so I, I figured we have to get the story out. So I wrote a story because I, I, I often or not often, actually, I don't often enough. Right. Even though I'm asked to for a German uh, alternative news portal and I hadn't written in quite a few months. And, and then I was thinking, this is the perfect story. So I called up the publisher. I said, hey, Jan, I think I have the story of all stories. If it's true, we have to get this out. So I'm going to write the story. So I wrote the story in German. Mm -hmm. And I put it out on that portal, and it was on the 31st of March. Right. Uh, and I said to Jan, do not put it out on April 1st, whatever you do. Yeah, of course not. Yeah. Right. So he got it out on the 31st. And mm -hmm. um, it just so happens that John Nolan, who I didn't know at the time, who was also an expat from Europe, was just mm -hmm. landed on his page by fluke. Mm -hmm. You know how it is in life. Uh, and he saw the article and he knew about Looking Glass because he had put out a video with Bill Wood talking about the Looking Glass on Inspire mm -hmm. channel. And so he called up Jan all the way from America and said, hey, do you know this guy, Frank Jacob? And can you put yeah. me in touch with him? Would he be interested in an interview? And then Jan called me and I said, sure, send him on through. And he did. John and I talked that same day. We did an interview a couple of days later. I didn't know who I was talking to, by the way. I just figured I'd done so many interviews with. Yeah. All, you know, uh, fringe stuff like, you know, solar revolution or packing from Mars that you get, you know, anywhere from 80 to maybe 8000 people, if you're lucky to pay attention. Uh, but it's a very fringe group. And then so I did this interview, you know, all kind of like laid back with John and mm -hmm. talking about looking glass and, and chrono visor and yeah. related time viewing peering technologies that I was familiar with. And then he, you know, the next day says, OK, it's gone. Here's the link. It's gone online. And so I so I checked it out and I saw that it already had almost 50,000 hits within just mm -hmm. a few hours. Mm -hmm. Like I think one day later it was already at 50 and then it was like shooting up to 100,000, 150,000. I'm like, oh my God, right? So I went viral. And, and so I found myself kind of like, I guess the story about how I phrased it about this battle of timelines connected with people. Mm -hmm. And my main idea was not just to focus on the, because it's a very dystopian message that they brought out about what what is coming down the pipeline 
not just that, but it, there was also a very positive version of a timeline. So being familiar with the idea of the timelines and framing it in terms of consciousness gave me an opportunity to frame the story in the direction of, you know, advancing humans, humanity's consciousness and framing it into timelines and the timeline war, rather than focusing on the sensationalistic aspect of, of, of a bombing attack in Times Square in New York on April 18th, which, you know, that because a lot of people would say you put out that negative stuff, you're going to make it happen, which I don't believe, by the way. But knowledge is power. Right. If you if you are if you're using it as intel, it's different than if you're just suckered by it. You know, if you're not uh, if you're getting swept away by it emotionally, that's a different thing. But if you if you are can if you can present it to people and I felt that I had a responsibility, having been exposed to the information to help frame it in a neutral way and not, you know, so we could look at both sides. Mm -hmm. both the negative and, and the you positive. guys did and you that's guys what we did, did. that's all neutral. we did and it went viral and ever since then you know it exploded so i just became you know like morphed into the timeline guy <laughs> you cannot believe the amount of people that have sent me interviews with you and i found this all on my own like this is right up my alley this kind of stuff you're, you're talking about uh, many of the topics that you and john covered some of the other stuff i've seen uh, i have a few friends in the podcast world that have interviewed you too but um i try not to watch other people's interviews when i'm going to do an interview because i connect with the other side i'll call it sounds crazy maybe to some people maybe not people that watch my show i connect with spirit and i just say spirit where are we going with this and it's just a unique conversation but many of the things that you guys talked about like i think if people would just listen with an open mind and and this is the problem people don't want to do the research they expect it to be presented on a platter and they expect it to be, and we talked about it before we went on air, we're kind of from the same era, same age group. And, you know, I remember as a small child going to bed and, or even after supper, parents were watching the evening news. Dad came home, read the newspaper. You know, they're watching Walter Cronkite, I think it was Walter Cronkite saying, it's news you can trust. And people think that that's what it is. But nowadays, people have to look in other places. Like, just like I said earlier, um, even things that we trusted maybe a few years ago, we have to keep vetting it. We're never going to get it perfect. Um, we can strive for it. But my point is, and this is where I am, and I'm still on the fence with this, whereas I'm in the middle, kind of like neutral. But I remember when they first came out and they, I remember what I saw, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember seeing a post, one of the chat groups I'm on Messenger with, when they first came out, they were asking for people's contact information so they could be activated when the time was right. That concerned me. When I felt into that intuitively, I work with two other ladies that are quite intuitive and we discussed it at length privately amongst ourselves. I wasn't comfortable doing it with giving my personal information because- Yeah, but I, that came out after, that didn't come out until about the fourth video. Yeah, they never asked in the very beginning. And, and so they uh, essentially what happened is they began to be, um, it was clear to me that after the clarity of their first videos, that, that some, after the 18th of April, something changed. And I think, um, you know, the, the character of their messages began to change. 
And yes, they did ask because they basically they were being attacked. And I, I mean, it's legit. That idea is not foreign to me that they would be attacked. That, you know, they call them agents. But, you know, I guess you could call them agents. You I know, went just, in circles with this, Frank. I honestly think, you know, they, they, they have to they would they would have to be attacked that if they wouldn't be attacked, I'd be wondering. No, and but they I, have I remember ask. and they asked for that information. And I remember reading it going, you know, I'm fe- I, I don't think people should send their information, but I'm an idiot. I'm fearless and I'm just going to send it. I don't care. I Let them come and attack me then. You know, I mean, uh, what am I here for? If this is true and we yeah. really are, this is like epic. You know, what's going on right now in the world? What they described is happening. Laura Lee, it's, it's going on right now. Well, it's, let's it's, tell it's, the it, listeners it, a bit about it because you are yeah. right. You are right. When I started to connect the dots, we are seeing and not in just a linear time thing here. Like there's bits and pieces that like gets inseparable with the whole huge big picture. Oh, I'm getting goosebumps. My sign for truth, but it's true. It's inseparable. Sorry. Go ahead. Well, it's yours. kind of like you really it's, it's uncanny that there's really very little in, in their messages that you can tear apart because it's all like, it's it's real, it's true. And I can back it up through other sources. That's why it was hitting me because I was like, okay, I know this is true, what they're talking about. Who else is talking about this? There was nobody, there was no comparative disclosure uh, movement group or anything out there other than the usual players, like the, the everyone that we all know. I'm not the 17th letter of the alphabet. And that was what was concerning me. Right, I, I mean, and it's like, this stuff is but that stuff wasn't these what i liked about these guys it was like hard hardcore man it's like forget varnishing forget the varnishing and making it sound nice they were telling it as it is and i appreciate that like i was telling you earlier, i love that aspect of can i ask you something and i've been trying to ask you this and i'm glad i remembered it okay i don't know if you saw this but i believe it was on the before it's news site now, this person mysteriously had a YouTube channel, too. This is before the Guardians came out. And they claim to be one of the original members of the 17th letter that we've heard about. I fell for that for about a week or two. And once it kept moving the goalposts, I started connecting dots. I'm going, uh-uh, no way, no how. People still believe it, follow it, whatever. But my point is, with this person, they were putting... Out stuff out there. The YouTube channel stayed up for about two days and they were claiming what really had happened to the organization and it had been taken down. But while they were playing the video, they were flashing all kinds of stuff in behind the screen. They didn't tell you to take a look at it. You had to be cognizant of it. And when you looked up, there was a lot of information in the back. Now, I don't know if they were for real or not. I don't know if you'd seen them. I can't remember the name of them. When I post this, I'll probably put it out there. But the videos are gone. Did you hear about these guys? It was almost like it was a precursor to the looking glass because they were sort of talking about some of this stuff. I heard about them. But, you know, the thing that bothered me about Q was that, I mean, I'll caveat it's infiltrated. It by- it's yeah, I mean, I'll caveat it by saying I see that there's a benefit for anybody that is in, was interested in Q. It woke a lot of people up and made them start looking at things that I'm maybe wouldn't have looked at things before. And I think that's the positive. So there's always a positive. You shouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. However, there were certain um, bits of intel that Q brought out, which, you know, and I think I am in a kind of a unique situation because I'm an expat. And I've lived in Canada and I've lived in the United States. And I know a lot of the people, you know, in the disclosure and the UFO scene Mm -hmm. personally. Uh, And 
now I'm over in Europe and I'm accessing and tapping into sources of information that none of those people have. And it's in particular historical things, which interests me because because I've um, I know I was raised, you know, in the usual school system in Canada. And I was told the story about, you know, what happened in the Second World War and, you know, the evil Nazis and all this stuff. And I I mean, I bought it hook, line and singer. Why would I doubt it? If the you know, if it's in the school curriculum, they wouldn't lie, would they? And it wasn't until I got to Germany and I listened to the talk. Um, you know, of a, of a guy called Gerd Schulz-Rohne, you know, he's, um, and he, he wrote a book about, it's called Translated, The War with Many Fathers, you know, Der Krieg der viele Väter hatte, for those of the German that are listening. And that book, it shows you the whole background that led to the outbreak of the Second World War. And it was a much more rich, factual-based, you know, d- digging into the actual archives and the daily you know, reports in consulates around the world. So it wasn't even made up. It was just, you know, it was like a, he just collated it and and laid it out for you. And then I realized, wait a minute, this whole story is wrong. Okay. And, uh, and, and, and then that was, that was only the start. Once that can of worms opened, Laura Lee, I mean, it just, that opened up. Okay. Well, let's tell them, let's give them a little nugget to dig for. Let's encourage people to look up about the peace treaties that, Hitler tried to ratify exactly. many, yes. many, yeah. many times. Over 20 before. times, you know, and the thing, not they weren't just peace treaties. They were disarmament proposals. Yes. It was about disarming the planet because war is senseless, right? People don't realize that um, that Hitler was actually in, he fought in the First World War and he got wounded several times. He won medals for his valor uh, and for his valor. And he still went back to the front because he believed in, you know, the ideology. And he was disappointed when he saw the political scheming that took place. And he saw it very clearly. And he was he had a, a gift and, and he put that out there and he created, you know. And so his idea was to create a war, a world where there were no mass, weapons of mass destruction and nobody took the bait. None of them. None of the assholes like Churchill or. Uh, you know, Roosevelt, forget it. They were all you could see. And now you realize, you know, that you realize these people were scheming to lure, to set a trap to get Germany to go to war because it's been a longstanding um, I, I, like goal to to wipe the, the, the Germanic, what they call the Germanic war loving, vicious, brutal society of thinkers, poets and artists off the planet of the face of the planet. That was the long time goal because they were a competition. They were so damn good at what they did, what they invented, their mark, their trade, their their you know worldwide success and, and selling made in Germany goods was so huge, it it caused an imbalance in the hegemony of global banking and trade that was not wanted, and it started with the First World War, and the Second World War was only a continuation a continuation to try and eliminate once and for all and they've almost succeeded i mean the germans are you know they're the absolute experiment in mind control and re-education and false history i mean they're just you know you come out here i mean there's laws i can't talk about a lot of stuff because it's illegal to talk about to challenge any views of history in certain areas even though now you know 80 years later we have much more information we can look at it much more as adults mm-hmm. not as children who were told oh big bad you know it's always in the big bad evil these simple you know like let's teach people history as if they're 12 years old and they never matured 
that version of history is still prevalent out there. And I think it's time for us to, and you're seeing it. There's revisionists that are coming out. They're putting you know everything Dan in the line. Do you know Dan Willis? Dan Willis. Yes, I do know Dan Willis. Yeah. He's a good friend of mine. He's been on my show many times and I, I bring him up so many times to go to his website. I said, I wish I had a couple of years of 20 hours a day to go through from 1900 all the way forward to go through because he's been connecting the dots and correcting the misinformation that's out there with history. Right. And he's just one, like there's just, many people that are doing this and that's why it's so important and i feel like just pulling my hair out sometimes because it's like people take a look at what's out there. no i haven't got time for that no i'm in my own little bubble blah, blah, blah i know i trust you know even i just did a show my partner's on the network he uh, has his own show last week we we touched on this that you know just we're human beings so say people put say healthcare professionals, a physician on a pedestal or a yeah. leader, whoever it yeah. is, they're no different. And the, and the opposite and, and the opposite too. I mean the thing is a lot of the pictures that we see of Germany um in the pre-war days where you see those marching soldiers, you know, and you see Hitler standing there doing the Hitler salute and you know with this expression of you know glee on his face and people and the way and I'm in I'm in I'm in the media business. I know how to frame something to turn it around from what it really means. You put the right picture with the wrong message and you can totally turn, turn around what is happening, what is being perceived. You can teach people the complete opposite of what is happening. So a lot of what you see in a lot of these imageries that looks like an absolute, you know, out of his mind, egomaniacal fascist, well, try to frame it in terms of if you've been through the last two years and say you didn't agree with the direction that the authorities were taking society in terms of what is being required, mm-hmm. uh, everything from the lockdowns to the juice, the, you know, the snake poison, let's call it, mm-hmm. right? The mandating of, the, of all these things. Um, and you are just like, you know, and you feel helpless. Like one of my questions is this, like, how do you in a democracy, how do you fight back when you realize that all of the leaders in your political party are in the back pocket of rich, heartless globalists who are only really out to destroy your country? How do you take your country back? And in a place like Germany, you don't have, there's no, I mean, they've disarmed everybody. And they've softened everybody's brains. So they're afraid of speaking up. Uh, and so this is how you destroy and gut a, a population from within. And you can see that trend is happening, happened since the Second World War in America as well. And no land in the Western country has been left untarnished by this wave of whatever, call it Bolshevism or communism, communist collectivization thought, right? And in Germany, they were going up against that. So they were like, they got the posse together. And so when you see these pictures of them going, yeah, it's like they're, they're saying, we're going to kick ass and we're going to get these globalists out, finished once and for all. And we're going to get ourselves back on the ground. And they did it. They didn't just say it. You know, I mean, the thing is, a lot of these people that, you, that are dictators out there, they're really corrupted people. And when they take power, they, they, they bring the people down. They, they bring the poverty levels up. And they just destroy and gut countries. That happened everywhere but here in Germany. And you have to ask yourself, well, what was different? 
And that is the dangerous verboten territory we're not allowed to go into. <laughs> but I'm not gonna, it's not gonna stop me from going in there. I just have to be very cautious on how I present it because I don't want to insult anybody. I don't want to, you know, because people suffered, you know, there's no doubt. Sure My family did. members it's suffered. Always the, the whole world suffered. suffered. Millions of people needlessly died horrible, pathetic deaths as a result of the circumstances no that led to those wars. And that's why I included it in a Tale of Two Timelines, because I wanted to show the example of how timelines can get manipulated. If your foundation of knowledge of history is incorrect, because you've been brainwashed and through mind control of those in charge, then you will take positions toward things which actually might have been something which had the opposite meaning in the world than you've been told. And, and direct you that, consciousness, which we are creating. You give your good thoughts and your good ideas and your heart to the wrong people. Yes. And yes. and you and so it was all about at that point in the time and the tale of two timelines. I was trying to make the point of how resonance. Our resonance is what gives a timeline its power. And the reason why there's one timeline over another timeline has all to do with what we give our energy to, what we invest our resonant energy with the frequency of our thought into. And that okay, was very, very clear. Okay, so get, because looking back glass, or the Guardians of the Looking Glass, sorry, shortened it. it. It has a part to play with these two timelines, doesn't it? So let's back it up for a little people maybe that haven't heard about it or don't understand what are these two timelines? How do the Guardians of the Looking Glass fall into it? How do what's what's the how do they how does it all come together? Well, it, it you know the, the the Guardians of the Looking Glass were describing essentially in the Looking Glass data that they had in their in their possession, they had seen. The rise of, um, well, I guess, what's the best way to talk Maybe about it? Maybe we should tell them what is a looking glass. Some people are going, what is oh, a looking yeah, glass? Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. Okay, the, the fundamentals. Uh, we're fundamentals, we right? know, but there'll be people listening. What are they talking about? <laughs> right. Well, the, the looking glass is a actual device mm -hmm. which has the ability to generate a holographic image of time streams. Okay. And so the operator of the device standing before it would see like literally like the way, like the name implies a looking glass, like a, almost like a crystal ball, but it's within a plasma field. Where did it come and from? It came from uh, like sealed cylinders that were found in uh, the Middle East that had That's building right. plans on how to construct them. So we handed down the from the Sumerian from, from from Sumerian civilization that far back that far back so the question always arises where did it come from obviously the Sumerians couldn't have figured out the technology wasn't at that level but maybe it was we don't know you know I history's, have a theory been, so, that we're like history's a been so reset so many times we don't know really what levels of technology we may or may not have had have way theory. back when right yeah that we this is like our fifth or sixth ideation of where we are now and that we get to a certain point exactly we can't learn from history then yes all over again like archaics, like, you know, Jason Brashears is going into his mm -hmm. his particular niche is to explore these loops, these cycles and hundred and I think 43 or something year cycles. Right. He's found a code within the material that he's uncovered, which is interesting as well. But it just shows you that we have these cycles. And so the, the idea of defining the building plans of the looking glass saying it's extraterrestrial because it couldn't have been the Sumerians. I, I don't go there, Laura Lee, because I don't. Nobody knows. This is all just guessing. 
exactly. I don't want to guess, but we do know that they had they got their hands on these plans as a result of their interaction with extraterrestrials. And the extraterrestrials we're talking about were the ones that began to surface over the skies starting in the middle, you know, starting in the 40s, or you could almost say the 30s, but it, it became, it ramped up into the mid 40s and into the early okay. 50s. And so there were crashes, there was technology taken, there was reverse engineering, and there were pilots that were captured. Okay. And those pilots were given a name, and the name of those pilots, they were called J-Rods. And it was through the J-Rods and the interaction with the J-Rods that we were told that this technology existed. In fact, on some of the craft that they had, um, that that they lost control of, whether or not it was a Trojan horse or an accident, we don't know, but they had looking glass navigation material on board. So they were using looking glass to navigate through time and distance. Okay. Um, and so they, you know, found out about this technology. And of course, they began to build them and they began to work with them. And they could see that they could see these time streams and they began to document them. They found, and that was interesting about what the Looking Glass Guardians brought to the pictures, because they described that what, what you saw when you were standing in front of this device were um, series of recognizable events that were taking place in the near future that would go for a period of seven days. And then they would reset again to the beginning, but it would play the same seven-day loop again from another perspective. And it would do this 144 times. For a total of 1,008 days, which works out to 2.76 years for one complete cycle. And then it would start all over again. And once they realized that, they began filming and cataloging and keywording it all. And then they would, of course, you know, be tempted. Well, we know that on such and such date, such and such happens. So what if we intervene? And they began to create these paradoxes. Uh, you just read my mind. That's what I was thinking. Wouldn't that create a paradox? <laughs> yeah, well, they created new time streams. New time. Okay. And it, it, it doesn't mean that, you know, that necessarily the grandfather of such and such is no longer going to give, you know, exist. No, like all these time streams exist, but it created um, paradoxes because they had this advantage and they were making active attempts to change. And they began to come up with all these different variations of the timeline, like, you know, T1 version 83, for example, was one of the last ones, according to Dan Bourish, okay. that, they, that they had seen. Um, and they were told they had to shut down the looking glass because the looking glass, another aspect of the technology is that in order for it to work, it wasn't just a mechanical device. It had to be placed in proximity of what's called stargates. Okay. And the stargates are like little portals that are yeah. that exist all around the planet they they exist underground above ground they all, they also exist in space and there are both natural and artificial okay gates. that's what i wanted to ask you because i knew all about the stargates and stuff what would be an example of a natural one for people listening well a natural stargate are just these vortex points where um you know as a result of the energy of okay. a particular location which can be based on gravitational um influence like for example if you have sedona maybe yeah if you have a certain to, kind um, of uh, of material in the rock in the bedrock and you have a certain compression going on maybe large like mountainous or high pressure zones where it, they, they are basically they're created through natural means and they exist like there's people that have told me about portals that they've seen in the middle east okay. where they've gone into like treasure hunters have gone into underground caves that they've found and, you know, after de-booby-trapping certain areas, they were they found, I was told, um, 
from somebody who basically was like next to the firsthand witness that mm -hmm. they went into a chamber and they looked up and they saw a different con configuration of planetary bodies mm -hmm. underground, you know, and that was the portal that that was one such portal that was like a stargate. And the Middle East is rich, apparently, in such stargates, both natural Makes and artificial ones. Makes sense to me. Right. So they, you know, th this is, uh, you know, they need this stargate aspect of it in order for them to work. And the stargates are like what I think, from what I understand, from everything that I've read or researched, is that, you know, if extraterrestrials do exist and are traveling around over massive distances, they don't travel linearly through no. through the toxicity of space no. but they actually tap into these vortal energy points these stargates and they, they 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 create these wormholes to other locations yeah and that's how they travel and that's also also how the the j-rods traveled to our time and it's a very interesting story about the j-rods can can you give a little bit we want sure, yeah. to I go mean, check out your the J-Rod, what led to the timeline war has to do with the J-Rods. Mm -hmm. And there are, there, there are, the J-Rods are these, um, what it turns out is that the J-Rods aren't necessarily technically extraterrestrials. Yes, they come from extraterrestrial areas, meaning outside of our planet, but they um, left this planet 45,000 and 52,000 years ago, respectively. And that's why there's two different types of J-Rods. There's called the P-45s, which are from 45,000 years in, in our future. And the P-52s from 52,000 years. And they came back in time to this time right now. Because in their past, which was our, you know, it's kind of hard to get your mind around it. But their <laughs> past is our present. And so there are descendants. So when you see these grays with the big buggy eyes and the shriveled bodies, that's what humans look like after a 45, after tens of thousands of years of adaptive exposure to adaptive radiation. You know, they, their bodies changed, their eyes developed so that they could deal, you know, with the exposure. Um, and so they were back here right now to before something which takes place right around the corner, which is a cosmic event. Mm -hmm. And that ties it right again, right back to the Looking Glass Guardians, because the Guardians of the Looking Glass talked about an event taking place in 2030, a cosmic event. Now, they didn't mention anything about the J-Rods. They didn't talk about any of that. That was something that when I decided to make the webinar, I dug into the entire Looking Glass history and I put all those elements into one big piece. So you understand the whole picture, well, how it all relates and how it ties together and what the j-rods have to do with the timelines have to do with the looking glass guardians have to do with dan boorish have to do with majestic 12 it all relates and it all now people are going to go what's majestic 12 where did they come in and then uh, then if we could talk a little bit about that the other thing i wanted to bring up too why 2030 we are hearing this regardless of what right it's pretty well well known and people that are not woke but consider themselves awake or have done a bit of research it's always 2030 so first of all, I know what Majestic 12 is, but for people listening, because people are listening in every country around the world uh, to this when this goes out. So, and they yeah, Majestic, find us. Majestic 12 is a name, is a code name for a group of a 12, a committee of 12 high level operatives that was formed as a result of the crash of these discs I was just describing earlier with the pilots, the J-Rods in them. 
when that began to happen, they needed to take action and they had to go to the areas where these things crashed, um, you know, conceal the, the hide the evidence literally. And they began to reverse engineer, of course, obviously for the military advantage, but also because they wanted to figure out who are these pilots. And that's how Dan Boorish got into the story, because Dan Boorish was brought in as an outsourced expert. You're as a my mind. That was my next question for people. Who are going well, to I'm known to be Dan. telepathic. I'm known to be telepathic. <laughs> you must be. This happens lots with a lot of my guests. Honestly, I'll be thinking of something, and then all of a sudden they say what I'm going to say. So thank you. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, Dan Boorish was an expert, and they, they brought him in to, to deal with one of the J-Rots who's su- suffering from neuropathy. Oh. And they had him bring him into these spheres, these clean spheres, uh, which were, you know, higher um, nitrogen content, colder, which is the environment that our future humans adapted into to survive. So they, you know, for them to be hanging in our regular climate is is toxic for them. It's harder for them to deal with. They don't they wouldn't survive long. But still, illness. But still, he developed. Well, they got the illness as a result. They got the illness as a result of, like I said, tens of thousands of years of genetic mutation caused genetic aberrations, and that's why they came back here to try and recollect some of them, at least. At least, you know, we know the P45s came back to begin to harvest gene code of their ancestry to take back into the future, and the J-Rod P45s were not interested in averting what's coming they actually didn't care they were happy to let it go down and the p52s their 8000 year descendants had somehow developed empathy and they were here to try and intervene and in their plan and to try and use a passive form of intervention to raise human consciousness so that when the event happens that's coming mm-hmm. that we can through our higher state of consciousness affect the outcome in a positive way and create a new time line and actually break off and create a virgin timeline that would avert the the cataclysm and virtually create um, them make them into um, orphans their their timeline their future timeline would be orphaned and they would be remnant like surviving orphans from a timeline which no longer existed because we'd averted it and so and you know as a result of them coming back and beginning to meddle this these paradoxes began to happen and Dan Boorish began a telepathic interaction with the J-Rod named the P-52. He had a name for it. It was called Kiela. And uh, with Kiela, he began to work out uh, something which turned into what's called the Doctrine of Convergent Timeline Paradox, which, you know, which was used to help us understand what, has, what is going on with these timelines and how to navigate these timelines to change the outcome for the positive. And of course, it, it, it's like it's amazing because none of this was in the Looking Glass Guardians material, but it all spoke exactly to what they were talking about when they said okay. there were these two timelines. They were said there was a positive timeline and there was a negative timeline. And the negative timeline had a very high probability of being realized as opposed right. to the positive timeline. Why? Well, because the negative timeline is in, is being possessed by and, and, and run by Illuminati members and, you know, basically the cabal, the deep state, mm-hmm. who are in charge and controlling the technology. And they've right. since then expanded and are using other technologies such as CERN. And the Looking Glass Guardians brought in the aspect of CERN as well, which was interesting to me because I knew a little bit about CERN. 
but I've learned a lot more about CERN since I began to dig in and create. Can we talk a bit about that? Because you know what? Um, I'm very interested in that. I've known about it for a long time. I cannot believe the amount of people I have talked to over the years that have gone, what's what's that? It's like, what do you mean? You don't know what it is. (laughs) But yeah, what have you found, Frank, if you don't mind sharing? Well, they were saying that the um, that the deep state actors that were in charge, that were working with the looking glass to try and manifest their, or to ensure that their negative timeline prevails. Um, and maybe we'll add one other element to it in that because the, the P45s were working with the Illuminati and in a way, because they weren't interested in treaties with humans. Um, and so the, and the Illuminati in a way, um, when they create and, and activating cause this cataclysm to happen. Mm-hmm. They actually, the P45s are their direct descendants. You could say the P45J rods are the descendants of the Illuminati. Okay. Right. So um, what we have now is we've got um, a, what people call the deep state, which is basically just bad actors, you know, people who are, or, you know, and I don't want to like simplify it here. Like he's good and he's bad, you know, that, I mean, in a way, I'm, I've begun to look at reality more holistically. So I, I don't see bad actors as necessarily being bad in a sense. I think that they have a role that they're playing. Yeah. And, you know, if we see them as agents of a certain assignment that is there to try to activate us, to push us to our limit, to evolve, then they're actually, are they bad then? Not necessarily. Or do they're you just think they're directed? The role Oh, sorry, I was just going to say, or do you think that, or I understand about the J-Rods, okay, but I'm wondering, do you think that maybe they're taking direction, okay, we'll say the cabal from off-planet, like what they're doing right now, like you said, and exactly the question you just asked, are they bad? I'm sorry, I am going to say, though, their methods and about how they're going about it and what they're doing and the amount of suffering, again, that we get into, that's what I don't like. That's where I have a problem. Mm-hmm. Yes, I mean, I agree there, too. Uh, I think that, you know, I don't agree with the form of violence, which the bad actors on the planet are executing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but, um, well, there's no but, it's just bad, and it doesn't need to be, but it is, and they, they are, you know, and the overall view of the world and reality and the universe, I mean, everyone, it's like we have a limited perspective, and it's very, um, it's tuned and, and adjusted by our own personal filters, so... You know, we don't even really understand what humans are yet and how we work. And we're still delving into quantum physics and starting to understand things about the way the construct of reality. Um, so, you know, it's hard to judge at this time. I just think that it it it, um, it takes away their power. If you give them the power of being the dark forces and you just say, look, they're acting. If they're instructed from off planet, it doesn't. And at some point, it doesn't, it's matter, a hard, it is, right? it doesn't matter. They're doing, they're acting in, in evil ways on this planet. And yeah. they're, and you can either look at yourself as a victim and all those people who have suffered as a result of their evil actions over how, who knows how long, are victims. Or you can look at us as, you know, creators of our destiny. And we have like the that. opportunity to view. And and uh, and and making a, a judgment on the reality picture that we're confronted with, that we can, you know, we can control and we can steer through our decisions, through our own momentary decisions, like the timeline that's created by us giving our resonance to it. 
the minute we become aware of the bad actors and that we've actually inadvertently been giving them away our energy, we cease giving them our energy. That's right. And that's how we change the future. That's how we change the timeline. And this is what the J-Rod was talking about. And CERN was brought into the picture with the Looking Glass Guardians because they said that CERN is being used to manipulate the timelines. And I thought, okay, how could that be? At that point, I didn't really understand that much about CERN. I knew a little bit about it um, being used in terms of mind control, but I didn't really understand the extent of what is how it's being used to manipulate timelines. And I've since learned a lot more, obviously. And, and, and what we find out with CERN is that it actually is a time machine. They were talking about being a time machine back in 2008. Mm -hmm. Russians were working there. You know, you can go in and you can rent the facilities just like, you know, you, any science group can go into facilities and set, and they can do experiments. And they were mm -hmm. experimenting. They just they realized that CERN is a time machine and they realized that they could open portals into multiple dimensions as far as six dimensions with a certain amount of Terra electron volts. Okay. And they were they were firing CERN. The way CERN works is they have these giant magnets and they create these mm -hmm. incredibly huge magnetic fields yeah. to steer and, and slam particles together. Mm -hmm. And what they want to do with that is they want to open up dimensions into other, they want to peer into other dimensions. They want to actually open time gates into other dimensions. And at the time that they were talking uh, back in 2016, I think they were working with about 5.6 tera electron volts, mm -hmm. somewhere around six tera electron volts. A tera electron volt is one trillion volts. So you can imagine the kind of power that is being, you know, generated here. It's very, it's the most, the most focused portal of energy on the entire planet. And so they just revamped it this year to upscale it to 14. 0.9 tera electron volts so almost three times or you know, more more than two times as powerful and they knew that if they could they, they were theorizing with the gravity rainbow theory that they talk about um, that they could open portals into the 10th dimension and they could access black holes in the 10th dimension with uh, with 12 uh, tera electron volts and here they were building 14 which they were hoping to crack through to the 11th dimension and so, and and Bertolucci, who's the CEO of CERN, is famous for a quote that I talk about. You can check out on my YouTube channel. I did a whole show for about a half an hour that explains what's going on at CERN in much more detail than we have time for here. But essentially, what he was saying is that we can, we have the ability to pull things through from other dimensions, See, and the worry. ability to put things through into those dimensions from ours. Okay, so let's, so, I want to yeah. ask you this. Okay, so what my thoughts are, and then I keep thinking, has anybody ever pulled remote viewing into any of this, looking at the various timelines? I, I have so many questions. I'm going to have to have you back on if you'll come back on, because I know there's so much we could talk about. But to me, um, are they prepared for what they might be letting through with opening these dimensions? Like, do they even, do they care even? That's my thoughts, because... I, I just know from my own personal experiences, what we have experienced, I have experienced very, very, very low vibrational, vibrational entities. Um, I've had something tell me it was demonic, 
16 years ago, a dream, like it happened 10 minutes ago, um, told me its name, told me its spelling of its name, tried to get me to uh, follow it. And I'd never heard this name. I'd been raised Roman Catholic before, never heard this name, never whatever. Anyways, I didn't agree to follow it in a dream. I told it to take a hike, basically. And then all heck broke loose in my previous home. We've been on uh, Paranormal Survivor and all over sharing the story. We've been through other people experienced it. My whole point is there is evil. I don't care if you want to call it an entity, an energy, whatever it is, in lower vibrational dimensions, if you want. But we don't know what's in some of these high, supposedly higher vibrational things either. Like, what if they let something through? Are they prepared to deal with that? Like, do they care? Like, what have you found, Frank? Well, it, it's, it opens up that whole topic of, you know, once you begin talking about multi-dimensions and what's, mm-hmm. what's being brought through, a lot of it has to do with the intention of those people who are operating the devices. I know. <laughs> uh, and, and one thing I know is that, you know, unfortunately, a lot of the people that are in Majestic and, you know, its successor, uh, the Committee of the Majority, are Satanists. You know, they actually know. literally perform ceremonies and give their families and their children to their Lord, you know, Lucifer uh-huh. or Satan. And, you know, and, and maybe Lucifer and Satan are not the same. Maybe they are. But what we're talking about here in principle is there is some kind of um, an energy, which is you could just summarize it as materialism. Thank you. You know, that, that it's just absolute materialistic. Uh, and it, it's very and, and, and there's and then its counterpart is the is the higher frequency spiritual aspect of which we have inherently in, you know, in our built into our biology. Absolutely. So we can take two directions as human beings. We can become absolute materialists who disavow our, um, you know, who disavow, disavow that there is a, a creator being who created our universe perfectly and put us in it as many versions, uh, you know, many creator beings or you can take the position that everything is an accident and, you know, that um, the only way, um, you know, that everything happened and, and was that our universe was created was because of, you know, various complex models that they've come up with that essentially are only desperate attempts to try and say, we can't imagine that anything could be as perfect as our universe. So we have to have a way to explain it through infinity and multiverses and dark matter and et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera the heliocentric version of the reality, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you've got that faction, which is, you know, has developed science and has all the money behind it and, 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 is, and is basically populated by people who, you know, they, their idea of a god is, is the god of the underworld, the god of the earth, you know, that, you know, the whatever, the, you know, that's why um, hell, you know, or whatever is, is on earth. It's like, or under the earth, right? And if, if you um, look at CERN, you know, and you look at the terminology of, of some of their projects, it actually is making direct reference to the abyss, you know, to pulling something from the abyss. Like the codes and the key words are built into all of their experiments. They're not even hiding. It's hidden right out in the open. So that's one of the other things that I found out about CERN is that the these opening projects, ceremony of the tunnel, for goodness sake, you know, project, yeah, ago. like the Goddard, the Goddard tunnel where they had, you know, the Baphomet who was slain 
And then he re came back to life and he came back as the redeemer and he rebuilt mm -hmm. the world, you know, and then you have, you know, you've got Shiva, you know, yep. you know, which is, you know, if you look at it, you know, that's Shiva, that's right yep. in front of the door at CERN. Mm -hmm. Right. And yep. Shiva is the God of destruction and rebirth, yep. mm -hmm. you know, resurrection. So, uh, and what do we hear with the Schwabsters and the world economic forum is they, you know, they, they want to reset the world. They want to rebuild the world and all of them, are they're basically they're atheists you know they are material you could say they are absolute materialists because their goal is something called transhumanism and uh, that's the well, timeline that's the timeline that, frank yeah mm -hmm. that's the timeline that they're shooting for and that is the one that is considered by the looking glass guardians as the as the negative timeline why i mean technology in and of itself is not negative yeah. i use it all the time but when technology becomes something like on an altar that you worship and they imbue technology with what they want to do is create sentient technology. And they want to then transplant their consciousness into this technology to reach immortal uh, life. You know, they want to become immortal gods. That's their idea. That's their ideology. Yuval they believe that Noah Harari is yes. the one that that I I literally shiver. I'm not afraid of him but what he has to say and then he's been referred to as the prophet and when you hear the things that he says that's what scares me is because if he's advising these figureheads and whomever is running this and you know for people that think this is conspiracy theory hate that word i like truth seeking the other thing is is follow the money. I used to hear that many years ago when I found out all about this stuff and I hated it. It was kind of like raise your vibration in the spiritual world, right? People, I, I used to say, what does that mean, right? But my whole point is once you start digging into it, it's not that difficult and you find out what it means, especially with following the money. It's always the same players and the same family lines yes. at the top, right? <laughs> right. And so, you know, the, the um, I guess the the extended thought is that those particular family members are servants to that one. And I've had Illuminati members who have left the organization approach me and provide me with information and, you know, about their, about their ideology. And, uh, and the way they phrase things is just actually quite amazing, you know, because they've built a very powerful infrastructure for themselves. Yes. And I was reading it going, you know, this makes a lot of sense. I mean, what's wrong with this? Nothing. Actually, if we all in the spiritual community turned it around and did that with ourselves, we would win the war of the spiritual war because they support each other. They help each other. They fund each other. You know, they create um, avenues and, and get rid of the barriers of entry for, you know, projects and, and things that they want to do for each other. Mm -hmm. And we don't do that in the spiritual community or in the UFO community. They're all against each other. Everyone's fighting each other. And, and that's because there are bad actors that have been put in those scenes to mislead people. And there's a lot of disinformation, especially in the UFO scene. And we know that also from the Majestic 12 documents. Uh, in the Tale of Two Timelines, I talk about you know some of those people uh, who actually had the job of putting disinformation into the UFOlogy scene. And you can imagine from 1947 to 19 to 2023, we're almost 80 years into it, 75 years of disinfo. You can imagine how grow how some of the the seeds of uh, of falsity have grown into massive forests of 
information. Plus the game of telephone, right? Like when we tell a story or we share stuff. Right. Somebody... You know, he, exactly. And those, those, those seeds have grown into forests of ideology, which are completely false. Mm -hmm. And people begin channeling and they draw information in from those because we fed the field with false information, which is why, again, I was making such a point about fake history being a way to distort even well-meaning people. Because when you begin to you know, we people always say, well, you know, I'm channeling it out of the Akasha and that's the truth. Now, how what is the Akasha? The Akasha is existing because of what we feed it to. It's a two way street. So if we're feeding it disinformation based on what we thought we knew, which is false, then that begins to fester as well in the Akasha. So I have to agree with you because, you know, what I do channel. I work with the Akashic records and all this. And I agree 100% with what you're saying. And I don't care how good somebody thinks they are or that they can feed it, feel into an energy and this is true and this is what it is. No, you've just latched onto something, exactly what you just said that could have been fed. And I think the most dangerous thing out there is that we have truth, but we've got lies mixed in there. And it's very difficult to discern what the difference is. And I don't care. And we're human. None of us, I always tell people, I don't care what you're doing. Channeling to... Any job on the planet, someone tells you they are a hundred percent without yeah. fail, infallible, run. Well, the Absolutely. channeling scene, you know, I mean, that was also something Absolutely. which was, you know, when I, I, I'm not um, a stranger to um, material about channeling, but when I started it, like I was telling you earlier, it was stuff like Jane Roberts, who, who mm -hmm. began in the '60s yeah, before exactly. the phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Right. I think um, Jay-Z Knight was one of the early ones and, you know, Jane Roberts. And mm -hmm. what I liked about that material, but this in this particular called the Seth material, Seth, yeah, it, as I said, Seth, well, it wasn't based around personalities. It was OK. Seth was a personality, but mm -hmm. Seth was giving us just the codes to the Matrix. It wasn't about mm -hmm. I'm yeah. Jesus or I'm, you know, St. Germain or I'm John Lennon or I'm, you know, like everyone all of a sudden floodgates open and you had all these personalities being channeled. Mm -hmm. And that's where I lost it. Cause I mean, for, I lost interest, you know, and that's where also with Q I lost interest when, when the information Q was putting out was wrong. I knew it, it to was. be wrong. So I realized you cannot trust it. And I'm so tired of, of this 80 20 thing, you know, 80 truth, 20 falsity. Because I know that 20, that 20 percent will screw you up big time. Yes. You yes. know, so, um, you know, so so essentially, essentially, that's where we got to with a lot of this information. You can only really take channeled information as a source of further confirmation like we did on. You probably saw some of the stuff I did with John on Inspired, where I would actually bring in. We would talk about medial information that had been received that I was working with Dieter Brewers on another project called Possible mm -hmm. Futures. And we yeah. were taking the channeled messages that were received via instrumental transcommunication inside of Faraday cages oh, cool. set up by MI6. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like absolutely modified, cool. sealed Faraday cages, which had receiving and uh, receiving equipment in it, which picked up messages from interdimensional beings in the 1990s. That. Okay. Okay. I don't know if I saw that. I want to see it now. And so I brought those messages that, that we, you know, I was on the one, on one morning, I'd be sitting with Dieter doing our show possible futures. Mm -hmm. And then I'd be going, Hmm, that's bizarre because you know, the messages of the looking glass guardians and the J rod doctrine of convergent timeline paradox from also back in the turn of the millennium, we're saying the same stuff. And that language back then wasn't clear. Back then, people didn't have the knowledge of quantum physics terminology that they do now. 
So when you read that information in the frame set of a 90s person mind, you're probably going, huh? What's that? I don't understand that. Yeah. Yeah. But if you read it in today's context and, and with respect to the messages of the Looking Glass Guardians and the J-Rods of the, the DCTP, it's, right. uh, it's blow, it blew my mind, Laura Lee, because it was so accurate. It was saying one and the same. And so I used it as a substantiation. You know, okay. not as like, this is the gospel truth, but hey, let's look at what we picked up in Faraday cages in the 90s mm -hmm. from interstellar communications or out-of-body, you know, entities uh, and okay. see if there's any relation. And bang, correlation, 100 pro, you know. Um, okay. And so you can, you can play with those different mediums, mm -hmm. and, but, but never take one as the gospel truth. You, they need to, you know, they just need to be used as further sources of information. Another form of information that we can use as humans is our own, you know, our own radar for messages from the universe. Like, you know, if you're driving in a car and you're trying to, you've been trying to solve a problem or you're asking a particular question and you wonder if it's true or not, if it's a yes or no question. And then all of a sudden, all the way home, you see nothing but triple digit license plates in front of you, you know? and you don't notice it, then you're clued out. But if you're tuned into your extended abilities, your, yeah. your connection to the whole as a being that's connected to the cosmos, that's one and the same as, as, a, as a son or daughter of the greater cosmos, then that's speaking to you. It's the universe giving you messages. You yeah, but the universe wants you to succeed. So we need, the to, universe we need to pay wants, attention. Yes, it wants us to succeed. Mm -hmm. The universe doesn't want to go through these horrible scenarios. You know, so so the 2030 scenario is um, interesting. And why because, 2030? Why 20? I'm sorry. I yeah. have so many questions. I don't need to cut you off, but I'm so excited here. But go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> well, that so was one of the things that made me sit up and take notice with the Looking Glass Guardians because they were talking about that magic number because I obviously yeah. knew about the number through the mm -hmm. Agenda 21. Yeah. You know, uh, 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 the date of 2030 is a part as a key date and the and the overall project called agenda 21 which has a series of milestones uh -huh. you know and uh, including 2050 2045 you know yes. there's all these milestones where they want to achieve xyz but 2030 was an interesting date because by 2030 is where they kind of um they want to actually actualize a new timeline and and we get in we got in a little bit into barbara marks hubbard in this idea of synthetic Christ consciousness in one of the shows I did with John Nolan mm -hmm. because of an article that had been fed to me that was looking at the source of Bar Barbara Marx Hubbard's funding going all the way back to Rockefeller and the pharmaceutical organizations. Mm. And so you realize that the whole new age community might be compromised with a lot of information, yeah. which is based on a fake version of, of spirituality, a synthetic or what they call like a synthetic spirituality, synthetic Christ consciousness. And, you know, that feeds it as well. So, you know, we're living in a time now where that 2030 date, and according to the Looking Glass Gardens and what they saw in the timelines, is that 2030 is a date where there's this cosmic event. And Do we know what it is? I know what it is. The cosmic <laughs> event is going to be something akin to an energy pulse. And that could take the form of a micronova. It could take the form of a mega flat flare. Um, but we're already kind of swimming in a place in the galaxy right now where we're in a location between galactic arms on the, uh, on the galactic plane, 
where we're being exposed, and this is what we cover in our film Solar Revolution, we're being exposed to the kinds of frequencies and radiations that we have never have been. And these are affecting our consciousness. As Dieter Burrs broke down in his thesis, and you know, which we explore in the film, how does it affect your brain? Well, it affects your pineal gland. You know, the pineal gland is that tiny little organ sitting in the middle of your brain, which is responsible for creating these powerful psychedelic, you know, experiences that either lead to your sleeping, to your waking up, to regulating your hormones in your body. And one in particular called dimethyltryptamine. Yes. Mm -hmm. DMT. And, you know, we dug into DMT in the film Solar Revolution, particularly with respect to Strassman, Rick Strassman's work. And what his, you know, subjects, and, and he was one of the only people that ever did a, a real, you know, ex, like a um, uh, volunteer-based study on what happens to people that go through a high dose of DMT, pure DMT. Why? Because what we think and what we now know is that, and, you know, what Dieter and we were talking about in the film was that these frequencies, particular one frequency of 150 megahertz, goes into resonance with your pineal gland. And that is the frequency that is sort of a magical frequency. And it is one where DM, your pineal gland releases DMT. And if that were to happen, what would happen? It would be all of us would suddenly have induced states of, you know, of, of a, a psychotropic state. We might be thinking we're hallucinating mm -hmm. when actually what's happening is we're cutting through the matrix of the physicality and we're perceiving more dimensional experiences around us which are existing at this very moment but we have a veil we cannot see them the pineal gland might actually open us up to those other dimensions naturally not using cern not using colliders not using huge magnetic fields not summoning you know bales of boob you know but actually we have the ability to potently create or perceive those other dimensions and so mm -hmm. we wanted to show what might happen and this is what could happen with that flash. And this is what the, funny enough, again, you dig into the doctrine of convergent timeline paradox, and I mined all this stuff for this for the webinar. He actually talks about that. <laughs> the J-Rod actually talks about that experience, wow. about us raising the consciousness this way. Mm -hmm. And peering, and actually when we do that, we actually, it isn't one way. The, the cosmos isn't just giving us information but it actually resonates, goes into resonance with us, and we can actually give back frequency and resonance from our state of consciousness, which means that it seems to be the key to changing the outcome from a cataclysmic experience to one where we shift it into a new dimension, a new timeline, a virgin timeline, as he describes it as, as the J-Rod talks about it, a new territory that none of us have ever seen, has never been experienced by anybody. That's why you can't even really quantify it. But it's fascinating, and it's, this is what interests me most about that whole topic, more than anything else, because I really want to know if we are going to make that evolutionary leap. Because so is that how they think? Well, uh, that will because this has been my biggest thing and my message to people. One is what we perceive becomes what we believe, and it becomes our reality. So we need to focus on what we want, not what we 
don't want. But the other part is, I, I must say almost every show is people, we need to put aside our petty differences and unite and pull together. Because we, I, it's almost like we need something to get us to unite as 99% of the useless eaters. I don't call us that. I know you don't call us that, but I've heard what we're called. I've seen the video with all the classes if you will and the whole bit I know all about that but my point is we need something to unite so are they thinking like are we gonna if we we get to the positive timeline uh is this going to upgrade or up level us and then unite us because of where we are because I think we are so much more powerful than we've ever been led to believe all of those gifts they they exist somewhere in here I believe it's almost like that light switch was turned off never mind what we are fed from birth that we're not capable of it, it's not possible, and so on and so forth. Is this what they're thinking with this cosmic event if we go along the positive timeline, in your opinion? Yeah, and that's described in the Looking Glass Guardians material. They describe okay. that event happening. And when that event happens, one of two things happens. Either the Cabal has successfully inundated society and, you know, with their version of a timeline that they want the transhumanist timeline and they use technology they actually use technology and they describe it in them and the text of the looking glass guardians in the form of genetic manipulation through vaccination mm -hmm. um you know and what are we seeing you know out there we're seeing vaccinations that are totally new kind of vaccination you're gonna say jabby jabs sort of so well i mean i think it's okay it. to mention the word vaccination because they're reality i mean we have them they're going that's on that's true I you know, know and and uh, so they you know, they won't but, argue with me though. They'll just say the word. <laughs> okay, well, the 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 jabby jabs, the, yeah. the snake poison, whatever, whatever the, the, the you know the the, the People know whatever. About. Yeah, so I mean that this we know now that this um, new version of this technology is being deployed right now, uh, and th th this is no conspiracy theory. This is actually mm -hmm. true. Even the surgeon uh the uh, the surgeon general of florida state if i'm not mistaken or the guy the health minister of florida has now called for a panel to be set up to investigate the technology in this material that is circulating in the veins of the majority of the people on the planet right now but they plan for this if you look at spars or we're just gonna go yes. for it. you look at spars 2025 to 2028 sure. they knew this was going to happen. The, right. The, well, the guys exactly. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so let's just keep it though focused on 2030, right? Mm -hmm. So what happens according to the looking glass yes. uh, information is that, you know, if they succeed in keeping society clueless about the technologies and society continues along the path toward glorifying technology and materialism, then they're, they will succeed and they're, timeline will be the prevalent consensus timeline that will take over then the event happens and the event actually has an adverse effect on those people who have this technology in their veins mm -hmm. that can take the form of being switched off either physically or mentally um, and and the diabolical part about it is it that they know this event is coming and that they actually modify the they themselves inject technology into their systems but instead of it having an adverse effect it has a boosting effect so that not only do they get the benefit of this frequency exactly. technology giving given to us as a gift from the center of the cosmos but they it, they become 
super versions of that. Okay, that's the one version. And then, of course, you know, they take over and everyone becomes kind of heavily enslaved. Not like we're already not, you know. Mm -hmm. And then the other version is humanity begins to see through the game. They begin to wake up out of their slumber. And over the course of the next eight years, you know, maybe we're actively, we're maybe, you know, we have to look at it this way too. We are part of that narrative that leads to the disclosure of truth that leads to a critical mass of people not buying it into it into it anymore and suddenly we take energy away from their timeline things begin to go wrong their plans don't work out you know their their schedules fall behind the technology isn't working things begin to go murphy's law begins to hit them for a change and we begin to realize hey wow we are actually powerful manifestors and we can we have to we can create and visualize the powerful future timeline that we want and we have people out there that are telling us that this event is scheduled to happen and when it happens instead of going into panic we actually embrace it embrace it and it switches us on and what happens then is anyone's guess okay Laura Lee I don't want to say I don't want to quantify it and say oh yeah Suddenly, you know, it's going to be tropical all over the planet and every, you know, I don't know. But I just think that if we reach that point where we're prepared for that event to happen and we don't panic and a lot of people keep it together and we actually eliminate the bad actors which have kept us enslaved through a fiat global monetary system, which is keeping us enslaved to taxation, um, and, you know, the idea of, un, you know, free energy is being blocked. If all those things begin to free up and we can actually develop those technologies and, and we can print our own debt-free monetary system that we don't need to rely on it. You know, we don't give the power to the globalist bankers and they basically disappear. We've set the stage for our golden age and then any, anything can happen. Anything mm-hmm. will happen. We will suddenly be developing those med beds and we technologies will begin to emerge free energy devices will become you know on par with everywhere and and we will basically create that utopian world then we can do it i believe then we will have anchored that timeline and that other timeline will disappear it's not so, going to split into two like okay, that's so a, what they i don't did, believe right? that Okay, so what they did, if I understand, please correct me if I'm wrong with the Guardians, because I think they looked at every version of how to change things, right? But then I don't know how they came up with this. I'm sure you do. But what they did, if I understand it correctly, is they realized that it wasn't just up to them. It was up up to them to disseminate the information and recognizing that every living being on this planet is a manifester, we're able or creator, putting the information out there and by all of us being aware of it and focusing... Because most of us want a good outcome. We want to, not everybody, but most people do. The majority want a good outcome. They want good things. They're loving, peaceful you know, people, right? We want to continue in a positive vein. That it was much more powerful than just a subset of, of people within the looking glass trying to make those changes. Right. Would I be right? Yes, exactly. Okay. And, and you could almost say, like, you know, as the way we right now are talking about these consciousness expanded ideas and tying it into current events, we will at some point, but we're we're still in the alternative scene. You know, we're in the fringe, right? I know. Well, it, what could happen and what should happen and what, what I'm hoping and what I'm visualizing is that there's going to be a point where all of a sudden 
the kind of conversations that you and I are having are going to break into the mainstream and people are going to switch on. Because I tell you right now, every time I've done a show, it doesn't matter with who it is and how small the audience or how big the audience is, people are switching on and saying, finally, I'm hearing what I've always felt. You're telling me that this is nothing new. I felt this for ages. Just no one's ever really talked about it. And, you know, that's all I'm doing is I'm just talking about it. So what will happen is that we'll reach a wider audience and everyone will switch on. I'll go, yeah, we've always felt it. And they'll just it'll just it'll it'll be an organic form of evolution. It won't be, you know, like some magical switch is pulled. I do believe that we have to do this thing. We do it in jumps, but they don't have to be like these, you know, absolute like horrendous jumps where, you know, we get either kicked back into the Middle Ages or we're, you know, totally confused because we're hit with a, a scalar wave out of the center right. of the cosmos where we're uh, disoriented. We don't know how to deal with it. We're actually going to be talking about it on such a quantity and such a uh, dispersion that enough people who experienced in that moment are going to go, oh, yeah, this is what Frank uh, and Laura Lee were talking about. In that show. <laughs> and okay. John I'm and not going to you know, or John or whoever. Right. I mean, I'm not I'm not I don't want to take credit here alone. Yeah. I've just, you know, but I have to say it's funny because setting this in motion this year has created a, definitely a new form of kind of a dialogue out there mm -hmm. where we're digging into some of this material in a different perspective than right. previously. And so and, and that's what I think we need to do. And, you know, that that's I'd be happy as hell if we if we pull that off and we get everyone talking about consciousness and timelines. And um, and, you know, and we see at the same time, we see the burdensome you know, system that we've accepted over all these decades, the monetary system, the idea of limitation, limited thought, limited energy, limited finances, limited abundance, you know, and we, and we actually realize, hey, wait a minute, we could have all the abundance we want. It's already all there. Mm -hmm. The other thing I think it needs, and don't get me wrong, there's, there's somebody for everybody, right? Everybody will resonate with a certain whatever it may be. But my point is, is you're very down to earth. I, I feel myself, I'm very down to earth. And again, I'm not trying to throw stones or be disparaging to anybody. But I think that in the past, when some of these topics have been talked about, they've been so high vibrationally astral, if you will, that a lot of people just have no clue what people are talking about. As I call it in, in the world, it's woo-woo talk. Nothing wrong with it. There's a right place and right time, and some people will resonate. But I think the meaning got lost on a lot of just regular, everyday people, whereas this is a conversation where people are listening to it going, hey, yeah, I think I heard about it. Yeah, I could look this up. Do you see where I'm going with that? Right. Well, I mean, because it's real, Laura Lee. The whole idea of the timelines is something real. The CERN is real. They really are doing these experiments. They really are making these statements. They really are scientists dabbling in other dimensional portals right now as we speak. And they really are working on a central banking digital currency that is programmable, that is connected to your personal biological ID. These are not fairy tales. It's not like you know, I, I mean, that is, I have to agree with you there too. A lot of what has turned me away from channeled information or the new age is, it's just so fluffy that yeah, I, I can't, I can't cope with it. It's like, I don't, you know, okay. it's like when I'm, it's like listening to Muzak, you know, when you go to a grocery store, it's like, no, please, you know, yeah. I need music that is going to challenge me to a certain point. That's going to be interesting. Yeah. And, and, you know, we and this is the, the quality of that information includes 
a broader spectrum of information than just always this fluffy. It's everything's going to be great. We've been talking to the Pleiadians. They're standing yeah. by and they're, they've been, they've been waiting for this moment forever. And they can't, they're watching it all as it happens. And they're going to be joining and meeting you on the other side of the veil. And you're like, really? Okay. Yeah. But I mean, how long, you know, and, what are they but, waiting for? What are they waiting for? If the ETs really are going to get involved, like, are you going to wait until the last human being has been, you know, jabbed? I mean, yeah. what are you going to wait for? Right. We yeah. got Karen Kingston out there with her Kingston love report. Karen. Love her. Uh, making it very clear. We got David Nixon filming the damn stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, it's no longer a mystery, people. Uh, you know, like it's there. This is a black and white version of it. I mean, we should be all talking about this because this is all that's important right now. Mm -hmm. We can talk back about Tartaria and all these other cool things once we've crossed all out of the danger zone. I thought I went into a crazy we'll world. I thought it, when I found that a couple of years ago and it fell in my lap and I have a period, another time when you're on my show, I hope you'll come back. I will talk about this. I'm missing time. I blinked an hour and a half was gone. I car was in the opposite direction. I was 40 miles from where I was in my city. So something occurred there. I'm not saying it's AT because I don't know. But my point is when I heard the Tartaria stuff, I went, what did I just take crazy pills? I swear to God to you with a friend of mine that's a fellow light worker like I am, like you are yourself. And she goes, no, I've, I've heard of this stuff. You're not crazy. But when I was listening to this, I was like, oh, my Lord. What? Yeah, you know, uh, Lorelai, I, I have. Yeah, I'm sorry. I said Lorelai because there's, okay, there's a legend of Lorelai in the I Ryan, know all you know. about it. Um, but uh, <laughs> um, I, I could tell you even crazier stuff than Tartaria. Okay. We'll real stuff, that. real stuff. And it's really like real. It's real. Okay. I, I promise. Yeah. I but I, I don't want, we, we don't want to bring it up right now. It's not the time. No. Is, not the time for this right stuff. Time and the stuff is so contaminated. This topic is so contaminated that I'm talking about that you, it would be a shame to bring it out now because there's so much disinfo and we're going to start seeing, and I've been told we're going to start seeing a lot of these actors being revealed as just that. You know, as controlled opposition or as, you know, as misleaders. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you can you can tell them if, you know, if you have a certain I'm, I can I'm beginning to break the code, mm -hmm. uh, you know, of, of what's going on in my own little way mm -hmm. and trying to, you know, work against it, you know, by doing what what I'm doing in my particular niche. But, um, you know, it's the quality we really do need to encompass like the quality of in, the density of information is increasing. And both the quality and the quantity of garbage at the same time is increasing exponentially. Mm -hmm. So it's a very crazy time to be alive right now. But I, you can, you know, what I want to do is, you know, with, with the topics of even if the timeline sounds crazy for most people, I think people can relate to the idea of going into resonance with something and creating a consensus with a majority and that actually steering and creating probabilities and timelines have nothing but a series of probabilities that result as as a as a um, as a result of our having gone into resonance with a certain ideology, you know. So uh, and this is going to keep happening if we do it unconsciously, you know. It'll happen no matter what because there are people who are steering their narrative out okay, there. Okay, so we got a few minutes left. I want to give you time at the end to promote where you are, where people can find your wonderful self and your work. But let's leave people with this till the next time you come back on. How can people help that are listening that want to see that that positive timeline that we all want to see? I and again, I'm asking you this for people listening. I, I I know from you know doing my research, but what can they do? How can they 
they find the right way to focus on what resonates in a positive way? Uh, the first thing they can they they can begin to do is learn to visualize something. Like they can think about like if you want to take the idea of the two timelines. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people say, well, there's everyone has their own timeline. It's an infinite amount of timelines. And mm-hmm. but yes and no, this is addressed also in the doctrine of convergent timeline paradox. It's an interflux of all these different timelines, but there still is a majority consensus. Otherwise, we would be living alone in our own little bubble. That's the right. fact is, we all know all of us here listening know that there is a guy called Biden and there is a guy called Trump and there was a, an election issue. We know these things are commonality. This is consensus. Mm-hmm. This is a timeline that we created together, right. all of us, right? So if you can begin to take take the idea of you know your participation in society as a way to generate a timeline, and you're not happy with that timeline, well then begin to think about what kind of a timeline. What what are the things you would like to see in your timeline? Is it free energy devices are in, invented? Is it one of the you know major? Um, there's a major breaking story and people get behind the idea that we don't need to use global bankers. We can create our own currency that's interest and debt free. Uh, you know, these, or, or is it somebody invents a device that finds all the plastic, toxic plastic on the planet and harvests it and turns it into an, a free energy source? I mean, there's all kinds of everyone's got their own little way of visualizing something. But begin to kind of go into resonance with that idea of those ideas that you personally might have for a future timeline. Mm-hmm. And what you do do then is you raise your frequency. And when you begin to, um, you know, some of the stuff that is in the doctrine of convergent timeline paradox, which I covered in the tale of two timelines is so high vibrational. I was, sh- I was ta- telling it live in front of an audience last Friday, and I was reading some of these passages in German and just reading those passages was sending, you could feel the room, just go to another state of consciousness. They were going like, whoa, right? And I was saying to them, look, what we've just done here is we've raised all of our frequency. Your frequency is being raised right this very second, just reading those words and thinking about yes. them. So you're changing your frequency. And what, what happens then is you, we all know now that we are also frequency anchors. We are the sovereigns of planet Earth. We are reality. We're not a simulation. We are real. Don't let everyone tell you that you're just a simulation there's clones everywhere and all this stuff. No, that's just another misleader. We are real because the simulation is based on something. It's based on reality. We are living in that reality. And so when we become frequency anchors of higher frequency thought, we anchor that frequency on the planet Earth. And so we make that probability more likely to happen. Each of us the more in our own we focus, way. right? The more we the focus. More we focus. And the more, and, and I'm going to add this very quickly because we've got about two minutes left, is that um, remember people, don't say I'm only one person, uh, I can't make a difference yeah. because you don't know what the rest, there's 9 billion of us supposedly on the planet. There could be many people thinking of the wonderful, crazy things that you have imagined that are so phenomenal that you'd love to see. And if you can't remember what imagining or thinking about, go back to what you used to daydream about, look about, dream about what you were going to be when you were a child, like what yes. was amazing, what was wonderful in the world. Yes, visualize it. So powerful. Speak it, it out loud. Feel it in your heart. Give it emotion. Right. You need that too. That's mm-hmm. that's the brain heart cohesion that you know heart math is yeah. trying to achieve with technology. You could you yeah. go into br- heart brain synchronicity when you begin to put your thoughts with your emotions 
and you see them, you can taste them, you can feel them. And don't worry if you're just one person. So am I. Back in March, nobody knew of the Looking Glass Guardians. I wrote this stupid story. And all of a sudden, boom, within a month, millions of people knew about it. Okay. That's just one person, what one person can do. And I'm no That's one what special. I'm trying to say. Yeah, exactly. And like I said, when I said speak it out loud just before you added what you did, because it's so important, the emotion component, positive. I always tell people, if you can't think of something positive, think of somebody or something you love. Everybody has something or somebody they love. And I think that's the most powerful. But also, uh, I mean, you're not going to be speaking it out loud around everybody else, but you're maybe you're in the shower and you're just use your voice. Um, anything you can add, it's energy, right? We didn't get into the principles of energy. I've mentioned it many times on the show but you guys we can do this we can really do this the more of us more conversations we have like this go forward have these conversations with like-minded people we're out there you can find us so speaking of that frank where can they find you how can they watch uh tale of two timelines the whole bit the easiest way to find me is to go to my website frankjacob.com okay and on that top of the website, there's a menu to access the, the the Tale of Two Timelines webinar is located at cyberhive.tv. But if you don't remember that, just my name is the easiest thing to remember. So just go to my name.com, frankjacob.com. And then there's links to the films we've made, you know, Packing for Mars, Solar Revolution, all those things we've sort of teased a little bit. Mm-hmm. You can access them there. You can watch them online. You can go to do the webinar. Um, and you can reach out to me if you want. I have a YouTube channel as well and a Telegram channel. I think I have links to all of them at the top of the menu there as well. So that's probably the easiest way. I want to thank you so much for being here. Like I said, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but I would love to have you back. There are so many things I wanted to talk about. We ran out of time. So very quickly, I want to wish you all a Merry Christmas, depending on when you see this, or Happy Holidays and Happy New Year. If you ever want to get a hold of me, you can get a hold of me on facebook.com forward slash the angel rock. Whether it's a show idea, guest idea, I also give readings or do readings. I also do healing work, energy work. And then I want to tell you people something is coming and i the first time i've announced this is right here on this recording is starting january 5th on thursdays here on united public radio network from 4 to 6 p.m eastern standard time you've seen him on my show many times david hansel big following on on tiktok gifted uh, medium hilarious he's in north carolina we are going to be having a regular weekly live show called uh, the thing at the end of the bed and i'll leave you with that anyways much love and light to everybody out there deepest gratitude to you frank thank you so much and we'll see you all next week same time same space take care